Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. Let's just right now declare together, God, I thank you that we're blessed. To be a blessing. Let us never forget where it came from and why we have it. In Jesus' name. You know, if we don't ever forget where it came from or why we have it, we'll never be unwise stewards. Because knowing it came from Him puts a weight on it. Like, it's, it's worth something. Like, like, you ever talk to people and they tell you, like, some, they have this little knife. I, I, um, I had one growing up, and um, now my little brother has it, and he thinks it's his. But, um, <laughs> but it's an army knife from my grandfather when he was in uh, the World War. And it says U.S. Army on it, and it's got a bunch of different, it's like a Swiss Army knife almost. But I remember that knife stuck around our house when a lot of knives didn't. And it was because of who gave it to us. And because we never lost sight of the fact that it came from my grandfather, it actually meant something to us. And when I've lost so many knives, I've lost so many things. I promise, like, Jonathan got me this thing that goes on your keychain so that if you can't find your keys, you can turn your phone on with the app and it makes a noise. Or if you can't find your phone, you can push the button on your keys and it makes your phone go off. And I use it every day. It's bad. I I promise. I lost a lot of things in life, but that knife hung around our house and stayed around and it never was lost because of who gave it to us, placed a value on it. And if we always remember who gave us the things that we have, that every good and perfect gift comes from Him, the Father of lights, in whom there is no shadow of turning. If we remember that, then we'll be wise stewards of what we have. And if we remember that it was given to us, not for us to own and for our good pleasure alone, but to be a blessing to other people, then we'll never forget and we'll always do what we should do with it. So just always remember that. So right now, I think we're done collecting the offering. I want you to stand right where you are. Let's stand up. I know it's like Catholic church in here. Stand up, sit down, stand up, sit down. <laughs> just stand right where you are. And, and, and here's the deal. Holy Spirit lives within you. He's like, don't forget that. You're not just a mere human being. You are the temple of the living God, and it was His good pleasure to take up residence inside of you. When He was looking around for a home to live in, He saw you and thought, that's a home fit for me, and He placed His presence, His very Spirit inside of you. So just for a second, let's just be conscious and mindful of that, and look around this room and see if there's somebody that God would have you, if it's just to give them a hug, if it's just to say, hey, if it's just a word of encouragement, maybe there's a verse or something that comes to your mind, but just look around for a second, and then go find somebody and encourage them in the Lord. It really is good to see you guys. We're, we're really, really thankful. You could have went anywhere this morning and you came here. And we don't take that lightly. Um, so if you have your Bibles, open up to John chapter 14. We're actually going to bounce through a little bit and then we're going to make our way back to the Old Testament. Um, but we're going to start out in John. John chapter 14. Starting in verse 7. Jesus is responding to the disciples. He's talking to them. He says, If you had known Me, you would have known My Father also. From now on, you know Him and have seen Him. And Philip said to Him, Lord, show us the Father and it's enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know Me, Philip? He who has seen Me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? 
So the, it, Jesus is coming towards the end of his time here on earth. And, and, and he really wants the disciples to get these things because pretty soon he's going to send them out into the world. And so he, it says that he's beginning now to speak really clearly to them. A lot of things he said in parables, but towards the end he started to speak really plain and really clearly. And this is about as plain as he said anything to them. He says, listen, Philip, you're asking me to show you the Father? You've been with me for this long. You've known me for this long. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've watched me and the way I've been on this earth, you've seen the Father. Because He is the exact representation of His character and nature, Hebrews tells us. So if we've seen Jesus, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. When you've seen me heal the sick, that was the Father's heart healing the sick. When you saw me multiply food and feed people who were hungry, that was the Father's heart that was feeding people. When you saw me teach, it was the Father teaching. When you saw me bend down and talk to the prostitute, that was the heart of the Father revealed. I'm not standing here in the way of the Father trying to do something and He's in heaven going... Well, hurry up, Jesus, because I'm ready to smite him. He's saying, listen, if you've seen me, you've seen what the Father would do. Because I came to show you the Father. And so he says, how can you ask me that? And this is, that, it, what the craziest thing about that is, is that he, right after telling them that, a little while later, in John chapter 20, he's talking to them. It says, so when it was the evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut, where the disciples were for fear of the Jews... Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father sent me, I also send you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. God, I, just, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it's alive. God, that, that today as we read it, there's life in your words. God, I thank You that as I speak today, it would be straight from Your heart to my mouth. Father, that, that You would speak through me. Holy Spirit, that, that when I open my mouth to speak, Your words would come flowing out. God, I thank You that our minds are open to receive, our ears to hear, our hearts to receive Your Word. God, that, that the seed of Your Word would go down into our hearts, into the soil of our hearts, and that it would bring forth fruit. God, that a world that does not know You would taste the fruit of our lives and know that You're good. God, that, 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 that we believe that it is Your desire that we could stand before people and say like Jesus did, if you've seen Me, you've seen My Father. And I thank You for that. Amen. You, we realize that. Like, like that's a, that's a, a sobering but exciting thought. It's one of those things that's like terrifyingly awesome. Is that God had every intention of us being able to stand before people the way Jesus did and say, you, you want to know what God is like? If you've seen me, you've seen what He's like. Because that's what Jesus said. And then Jesus said to the disciples, as the Father sent me into the world, so I also send you. If Jesus came into the world to reveal the Father, then He sent the disciples out into the world to do what? Reveal the Father. And He said, make disciples teaching them to obey all the things I have commanded you. 
What was his intention in doing this? What was he saying? He, this, is, this whole time he's saying, it's better that I go and the Holy Spirit's going to come and all this stuff. And he's teaching them. He's like trying to just jam everything into them as fast, you know, in as short a time as he can. And this one thing he seems to keep wanting them to understand is that they're here for a reason. And the reason is, is in the same way that he came, now he's sending them out into the earth. And that's why it's better that he went. Because instead of there being one Jesus that you had to go and find, there would be thousands and, and hundreds of thousands and millions and billions of Jesuses that would come find you. That was his intention. So he gives them, breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit takes a residence in the spirit of this world that was in them. They were formerly alienated from him in their minds, enemies to God. Now he's replaced by the Spirit of God. And now that the Spirit of God lives within them, they're capable of actually being born again, new creations, regenerated, not who they were before, a new creation that has never existed. And all they need now is to be anointed with the power of the Holy Spirit, which he says, now I want you to go and I want you to wait and don't do anything until the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you, when he comes upon you, will become my witnesses. So it's like this little mini course with Jesus, this time that they had with him. And it was all saying... Everything you've seen in me is the Father. And everything you've seen in me is the heart that I want you to go and display to the world. And I'm going to give you everything that you need to go and do that. But you're going to have to go out into the world and actually do it. And I think that when we talk to people a lot of times, I think that the majority of Christians have displayed for the world what God is like to them. I don't think that, that we don't... See, I think we model what God's like whether we're thinking about it or not when we proclaim to be a Christian. Like if you and your place of work are known as the Christian, then people are watching you and they're making their mind up about what Christianity looks like by the way that you act, the way that you speak, and the way that you treat other people. And that can be an amazing thing. We saw at, a, at the memorial service we had yesterday for a cat... We saw people from every area of her life and it didn't matter if they came from her school life her small group, her work, the people she danced with. It didn't matter where they, her family, it, every single one of them said the exact same things about them to the point that the second to last person who spoke said, well, everything that I was going to say has been said already. And then she said something that I thought was just beautiful. She said, and it just goes to show me that she was actually authentic because she wasn't one person here and another person there. Every single place that she went, she was the same person to everybody. And I thought, isn't that amazing? And wouldn't we all love for people to say that about us? That if if somebody from every sphere, if somebody from my work, if somebody from my home, if somebody from my family, if somebody from our church, if somebody from the activities that I participated in, if you pulled someone from every sphere of my life and you gave them five minutes to talk about me, that every single one of them would say the same things about me and that everything that they said would be the heart of the Father displayed. That's amazing. That's well done, good and faithful servant. That's enter into the rest, into the joy that was prepared beforehand for you. That's not an act. That's actually becoming. That's being a new creation and living out with your words and your deeds what you believe in your heart to the point that people around you can't help but notice it. And see, this is the thing, is that everywhere we go, people look at us and there's something different about us. Or we proclaim with our mouths that there's something different about us, but our life says there isn't. One of the two. 
And this isn't to scold us, but the number one word used to describe the church by non-church people is hypocrite. And that's not to scold us. That's to say, listen, you guys, there's something out there in the world that is masquerading as Christianity that has nothing to do with who the Father is. And it's up to people who actually know the Father to go out and say, no, 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 this is what He's like. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. When you've seen me be kind to somebody who was being absolutely unlovable, that was because of the Father. When you've seen me be generous, even in the face of my own lack, that was because that's who the Father is. When you've seen me be gracious to people when they've missed it over and over and over again, and some of them intentionally. It went beyond just a mistake. They intentionally did things over and over again. And you saw me respond in grace. It's because of the Father and that's what He's like. So if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The problem is is that the world instinctively says, if I've seen you, I've seen your Father. If I've seen you, I've seen your God. They say it instinctively. That's a good thing or a bad thing depending on who they're talking to and what's been modeled for them. And see, I think that the whole key to all of this stuff is intimacy with the Father. It's like actually spending time with Him, having relationship with Him to the point that we are being changed, that we're actually becoming like Him, not that we're acting different. Because if it's an act, it's an act. And it means it's something you're doing, but it's not who you're becoming. And anything that is an act is unsustainable. It's hard work. It will wear you out. And eventually it will lead to harm for you and the people around you. But if you're actually becoming changed, like you're spending time with Him, you're spending time in His Word, you're spending time just being with Him and praying and meditating on Him and thinking and letting Him love you and speak to you and listening and believing that He still speaks... Believing that Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and know my voice. Meaning, I'm going to talk. I'm going to speak. And they'll know it's me. And the voice of a stranger, they won't follow. If he was only talking about the Bible, it's unnecessary for him to say that we would be able to discern between two voices by knowing his voice because anything that's in the Bible would be it. And he would have said, they will know my word and my word they will follow. And the voice in the books of another, they will not. But he didn't. He said, they're going to know my voice. Sure, He speaks through His Word, but He also speaks straight to our heart through the Holy Spirit living within us, through people around us. It's always been His heart. It begin, the Bible begins with God breathing and speaking to man, and it ends with God breathing and speaking to man, and what nothing changed in between. So, um, so I just want to—I want to just use the, uh, a story from the Old Testament. Um, to show the difference in walking in intimacy and walking in... See, Paul was writing one time to a church and he said, by now you guys should be teachers. By now you should have meat. But I have to give you milk again. What was he saying to them? He's saying, listen you guys, by now you should be able to go out and from Him receive food and process it yourself and digest it yourself and benefit it from yourself so that your body is now creating something that is beneficial to other people. But you're still in a place where you can only receive something that's processed through another human being. 
That's what milk is. Milk takes meat, it takes nutrition, it takes raw nutrition from outside, it internalizes it, and then it has something that it can give to somebody else that's nutritious to them. And that's great when you're a baby because you're incapable of chewing on meat. But when you become an adult and you're still following your mom around looking up to her, there's something wrong. And that's what Paul's saying. He's saying, listen, you guys, by now, you guys should be able to take this stuff and chew on it and digest it and give people something that is beneficial to them. But I still have to do that for you. And you're like babies who still only receive revelation through me. There is nothing wrong with receiving revelation through people. But if the only time you receive revelation through people, we would, in the world, if the only thing that you ever ate was something that was processed by another person, chances are you're still in a diaper. Chances are good the only people in this world that are still only eating what is being processed by another person means that they're practically a newborn or an infant. They're still wearing a diaper and they're still dependent on another to take care of them and to give them what they need to survive. I don't want to be 40 and still having someone have to change a diaper. I know, it's a gross visual, but... So in Exodus... Well, yeah. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 18, it says, All the people perceived the thunder and the lightning flashes and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. Then they said to Moses, Speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid, for God has come in order to test you and in order that the fear of Him may remain with you so that you may not sin. So the people stood at a distance while Moses approached the thick cloud where God was. Then the Lord said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, You yourselves have seen that I have spoken to you from heaven. You shall not make other gods besides me, gods of silver or gods of gold. You shall not make for yourselves. You shall make an altar of earth for me, and you shall sacrifice on it your birth offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. In every place where I cause my name to be remembered, I will come to you and I will bless you. So here is God. He's getting ready to lead the people through the, the wilderness and into the promised land, into Canaan. And, in, and he wants to speak to the people. He told Moses, he said, this will be a sign that you'll come and you'll sacrifice and you'll worship on this mountain. So they come back to this mountain after he leaves. And God says, tell the people to come. I want to speak to them. It's God's heart to speak to the people. It was, he didn't say, Moses, I'm going to speak to you and you're going to speak to the people. That was what he used when they didn't know him and they didn't know who, know who he was. And Moses knew this because when he said, I want you to go talk to the people, he said, well, what am I going to say when they say who sent me? In other words, they don't know you. I'm going to have to tell them who sent me. And God said, okay, tell them I am that I am. I am. I'm Yahweh. I'm, I am their God. I am. And so he's saying, I want you to introduce me to the people, Moses. And I want you to tell them what I want you to tell them, and I'll speak through you to them. But now he's brought them out of that place. You know, a lot of times when we're in a place in our lives where we're in captivity, where we're in bondage, where we're in chains, where there's things that we're in oppression, we need someone to come to us and speak on his behalf and help pull us out of that. But it's never God's heart that it would stay like that forever. And once he pulls them out of Egypt, and now they've seen him, they've seen him part the Red Sea, they've seen him do all this stuff, they've, he's revealed himself to them, now he says, okay, the time 
time for you to have Moses be the only one that hears from me and speaks to me is over. I want all of you to come up onto the mountain and I'm going to speak to every one of you. And the people say, no, no, no. No, you go. You go, Moses. You talk to God and you come back. And you're, We like it the way it is. We don't want to have to go talk to Him. If we do, we're going to die. Where do they got that from? I have no idea. It wasn't from Him. And so, God gives the people what they want. And we talked about that last week, remember? They wanted a king to be like all the other nations. And God sends Samuel and says, tell them this is what's going to happen if they get a king. He's going to rule over them. They're not going to like it. It's not going to be good. He says they're doing this because they have refused to listen to me from the beginning. And now they're doing the same thing to you that they've done to me because their hearts are hard. Tell them. Samuel goes and tells them. They don't care. We want a king. We want to be like all the other nations. Samuel comes back. God says, okay. And he gives them what they want even though it wasn't his heart for them. His heart was that he would speak to them through the prophet. Well, here is where that began. His heart was to speak to all the people, but the people refused, so he gave them what they wanted. He spoke to them through Moses, and he met them where they were. So they have no personal relationship with him. They're only able to receive through Moses what God wants them to hear. So Moses goes and leads them, and everything's fine, right? God says, look, just some simple things. Don't make gods out of silver and gold. Uh, Make an altar to me. Sacrifice there, and I will bless you. Real simple things. And then in Exodus 24, Moses comes down and says it to the people. And the people answer to him, all the words the Lord has spoken, we will do. Now in chapter 32, just a little bit further ahead, Moses goes off to be up with God. It says, it says, now when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people assembled about Aaron and said to him, come, make us a God who will go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Aaron said to them, tear off the gold rings which are in your, the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. Then all the people tore off the gold rings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. He took them this from their hand and he fashioned it with a graving tool and made into a molten calf and said, this is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Here's the thing. They have been led by God. Moses goes off to be with God. He's gone for 40 days. They sit there and they're thinking, Moses may never come back. We don't know what happened to this man, Moses. And so they go to Aaron and they say, we want you to make us a God that will go before us. And Aaron says, okay, bring me your jewelry. They bring him his jewelry. He melts it down. He makes it into a calf. And he says, behold, this is your God who brought you out of Egypt. And the people bow down and worship it. A few minutes ago, their God was in their ears. If they knew who God was, they would have never looked at a bull and said, you're right, that's our God. The problem is they didn't know God. Moses knew God, and they only knew God through Moses. And because they didn't have intimacy with Him, when something false was presented to them, they bowed down and they worshipped it, and they were going to be led astray by it. And if we don't know Him for ourselves, and we're only receiving from other people, and the only way we know Him is through secondhand stuff, through milk, at some point something will be presented to us that, doesn't, that isn't Him, and because we don't know Him ourselves, we'll be forced to make a decision based on our own knowledge as to whether that's God or not. It should have been so easy for them. They saw Him part the sea. Listen, 
the whole reason they had gold was because God caused the Egyptians to chase them down and put the gold into their pockets as they were leaving. The gold that they had in their ears was a gift from God. But even a gift that we receive from Him, if that doesn't cause us to actually push into fellowship with Him and know Him can become something destructive if we begin to worship the gift rather than the one who gave it. It started as a gift from God. It was the wealth of the wicked being laid at the foot of the righteous. It was a gift. It was something that He caused the Egyptians to give them as they were fleeing so that they would not go out empty-handed. But something that is a gift even can be distorted and mutated into something that we now worship as if it's God and it becomes something that's harmful and destructive to us. And if we know Him, we will never allow something He's given us to take His place. But we have to know Him. Know Him. That's why we have to have intimacy with Him. Think about it. Think about the people who don't have intimacy with Him. All it takes is the one who does have intimacy disappearing. And suddenly, they don't know who they are or what they're supposed to do and they begin to do things they were commanded not to. What did He just tell them right before this happened? He said one simple thing not to do. What was it? Don't make a God out of silver or gold. All the words which He has spoken, Moses, we will do. One thing... Think about Saul. What did Samuel tell him to do? He said, go there and wait. And Samuel's the one who has intimacy with the Father. Saul never actually believed that he was worthy and never actually began a relationship with him the way that he could have. He never believed that he was who God said he would be, even though Samuel said, God is changing you into a different person. Saul himself never believed that God had changed him. And so he never actually believed that he was the man that God said he was. And he spent his whole life trying to be something that God had already said that he was, never believing he was. And so when the man who does know God disappears, it only takes him being gone seven days. At least give the Israelites credit. It was the 40th day before they finally cracked. It took Saul seven days without the anointed man being around. And he said he looked around. He saw the people were scattering. He saw what the people were doing. He saw the enemy was gathering. He saw what the enemy was doing. And so he said, I better do something. And he did something that was complete opposite of what he was told to do. Because he was responding out of fear, not out of what God had spoken. Because he had no intimacy for himself. And because Samuel, the one who actually had the intimacy, was gone. Here's the Israelites, 40 days after Moses leaves. He's the one who has the intimacy with the Father. And what do they say? Make us a God. The very thing they were told not to do, they command their leader, Aaron, to do. Because they have no intimacy. And the one who had it has been gone for 40 days. And they need something. And so they're willing to sacrifice and they're willing to worship anything. If we're not careful and everything that we receive is through other people and we don't have intimacy ourselves, what happens when the person who does have the intimacy disappears? You can look throughout the Bible and you can see Saul didn't have intimacy. So when a spirit came and troubled him, what did he have to do? He had to go get the one who did, David, to come and play so that the Spirit would so that he would be soothed and comforted. He didn't have his own intimacy. You understand that David didn't have anything that Saul didn't have? David had nothing that Saul didn't have. Saul was anointed by the same prophet with the same oil, with the same mantle placed upon him. And yet, he, when he's alone, has no intimacy with the Father. He never spends time with Him. He never actually considers Him. And so he has to have somebody around who does have intimacy 
so that when the Spirit comes upon him, there's somebody who knows God can come around. Please, guys, let's never find ourselves in a place where we have to go find somebody who has intimacy because we don't have our own. We can't live through other people. Listen, okay, I'm a pastor of a church. I obviously think coming to church is a good thing. I think listening to podcasts is a good thing. I think worshiping is a great thing, and listening to worship music is a great thing. But none of those great things can take the place of the one thing, and that's knowing him and having an intimate relationship with him and spending time with him, seeking him, not for what he can do, not for what he can give, but him for the sake of him. So they, they make this calf and they hold it up and they give it to the people and they say, behold, <laughs> this is your God who brought you out of Egypt. What? Now you would think if these people who knew how they had made the calf, who watched Aaron make it, if you would think that like, okay, they know that's not God. The problem is, is they allowed something to take God's place and the only thing they could present to other people as God was the thing that they allowed to take its place. See, Jesus said, what you have, you give. If what you have is something that somebody else gave you, all you can give people is something that somebody else gave you. So when Aaron said, this is your God, the people said, this is our God, and they turned around to the rest of the people and said, behold, your God. And because none of those people had an intimate relationship with the Father, because none of those people knew Him, they all well down and worshipped it and said, yep, that's our God. And we have a bunch of people running around who don't actually know Him for themselves, so they've taken the first thing that's been shown to them as God, and they've worshipped it as though it is, and the only thing that they can turn and look to other people and say is the thing that they've worshipped, they can present to other people and say, Behold your God. It doesn't matter if it's church. Some people make a God out of church, and that to them is how you have a relationship with the Father, is through church. And your whole life is going to church and getting other people to come to church, and there's nothing wrong with going to church. It's an amazing thing. It can enhance your relationship with other people. You can grow. You can be fed spiritually. There's covering. There's safety. There's all those things there. But none of those things can take the place of actually knowing Him. And you can make a God out of the gold that God's given you. And you can worship it. And you're not worshiping God. You're worshiping the gift that He gave you. So Moses comes down from being with God. I love this. It's one of those things when you read it in the Old Testament, you think, whoa, that was weird. Me and Patty were reading it the other night. Patty goes, that's kind of harsh. <laughs> says, Moses comes down from being with God. He sees the bull. What does he do? What's the first thing that Moses does when he sees the bull? He destroys it. He smashes it and he grinds it into powder. Why? Because someone who knows God can instantly recognize something that's not him. And he understands, I'm the only one that actually knows him. It's my responsibility to destroy anything that's not him that's being presented to people as being him. Then he takes it and he grinds it up. And he does something interesting. You guys remember what he did? It says he sprinkled it in water and he made them all drink it. 
So there's this gold, and they're drinking it. You know what? I believe the reason, that, and, and I've, it's troubled me until uh, just recently when I feel like God showed me this. Actually, this morning, that verse troubled me, and I was thinking, I'm praying like, God, I know you want me to preach on this, but I don't want to go up there and not be able to explain that in a way that doesn't sound anything more than weird. And God said Moses was trying to show them that what they had taken and made an external thing was supposed to be internal inside of them. And he took what they had worshipped outside as gold and said, listen, there's nothing outside that you can worship. It's supposed to be inside of you. And that would be a monument for the believers who would come. If you make a monument of something that is ex- external and call it God, it's not. And until you destroy that and actually have inside of you what you thought you were worshipping outside of you, you'll never have what you're supposed to have. That was like fresh off the press, so that's as good as I got. (laughs) So what does this have to do with us? I I love to teach from the Old Testament because I think it always shows us something for the new. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, it says, We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. We don't battle golden bulls but I promise you there's a lot of ideas out there that are being raised up as God that are completely opposed to what we know to be true about Him. And one of the ways that we battle spiritually is to destroy anything that would exalt itself against what we know to be true about Him. And when we hear people, listen to me, I'm going to just close up with this, okay? So it's 12.20 and if I start on the next thing, it's going to be 1.20. Um, I promise. Um, It doesn't mean you're a jerk. It doesn't mean you're the guy that has to go around correcting every person. But it does mean that God expects that like Moses, every one of us would know him to the point that when we see something being exalted as God that's not God, we would be able to come against it and actually show people what it's like. And that was done in the physical. That was like physically. Like remember when, when he called Gideon? What was the first thing Gideon had to do? He had to go and tear down a physical idol, right? There was physical things that were raised up that exalted themselves against the knowledge of God. They would build these physical things and then they would say to people, this is God. And the people would come and bow down and they would worship it. Asherah poles and false gods and Baal and statues. And you can find it all throughout the Bible. People were constantly trying to make something and then they would tell people, this is God. And there has always been people who came along that actually knew Him who could tear that thing down and say, no, this is God. He's not there. That's not who He is. And what was done in the physical, you guys may never see an Asherah pole. You may never see a statue to Baal. You may never see a golden calf being made by your friends. But I promise you, there's people around you who have built an image of what God is like and they're worshiping it and it's not Him. And maybe God's entrusted you to be the one to come along and destroy that idea by showing them the actual worth and who God really is. You will hear all kinds of wild accusations about God. The devil has done a brilliant job of convincing the church that God is actually doing the things that Jesus said the enemy came to do. He's been stealing, killing, and destroying from the beginning. Jesus said it's real easy. 
the thief, the enemy, he comes to do what? To kill, kill, to steal, and to destroy. If there's killing, if there's stealing, if there's destroying going on, it's got his fingerprints all over it. I came that you would have life and you would have it abundantly. If there's life and abundant life going on, it's got my fingerprints all over it. And sudden, somehow in the church, we've swapped those up if this Jesus is the one who came to kill, steal, and destroy. And we claim that he's doing things that he never did while he was here on earth physically. And now that he's gone, we attribute anything that we don't understand to him and we say it's because he's doing it and the devil laughs every time because we hold up a golden calf and we say this is what God's like this is who God is behold your God because if we accept him that way we will have to show him to others that way because what we have we give I know it sounds crazy, right, to us that the Israelites would take a golden calf that was made out of the rings that came out of their ears and they would melt it and make a calf. Something that had never existed now does. They've never had this calf. He's never been with them. He didn't part the seas. He didn't rain down manna. He didn't make water flow from a rock. He didn't bring plagues upon the people of Egypt. He didn't cause them to chase them down and give them the gold. He didn't do any of this stuff because He never existed. And you would think that the Israelites would look at it and say, are you kidding me? That's not the God who led us out of Israel or out of Egypt. No. He's a cloud of smoke and He's a pillar of fire and He's a thunderous voice that booms from the mountain. He's not a mute God that sits here that was just in my ear 20 minutes ago. And that sounds crazy, but I promise you some of the things we hold up and present to people as God are just as crazy because we can't find it in the life of Jesus. And most of it has come because somebody along the way presented us a picture of God that was inaccurate like Aaron presented to the people. And because we didn't know Him for ourselves, we took their word and we made that our God. And then we have nothing but that to turn around and show the people. That's how it happened with Aaron. That's how it happened with the people. And I promise you it's still happening today. If one person, one person would have known him, really known him, what he's like, who he is, they could have stood up in front of the people and said, I'm telling you right now, that's not him. But because they didn't want to have their own intimacy and they relied on the intimacy of another, when that person was gone, they were forced to believe whatever the next person in line told them. And he presented them with something pretty crazy. And they accepted it. And thank God for them that Moses came back. Because had he not, they would have worshipped that golden calf until they were dead. And they would have died in the wilderness and never, ever, ever reached the promised land. None of them. But God was faithful and sent along a Moses that could say, you guys, that's not him. Destroy that. I think it's significant that Jesus goes away for 40 days and comes back stronger in his knowledge of who God is and who God sent him to earth to be. That Moses goes away for 40 days and a bunch of people get lost and confused and start bowing down to things that they made with their own hands. 
There's going to be times, you guys, where you're alone. And you know what? That's a good thing. Every single one of us at some point has to get to a place where we're okay alone with the Father. Being with other people is awesome. Don't forget the assembling of the saints, even more so as the day draws near. I understand. I believe that verse. Trust me. I'm here with a message ready every single Sunday because I believe that verse is true. But there's also some truth to this, that if the only place that you're getting anything is through somebody else, when you don't get it from them, you'll take whatever the next person comes along and offers you something, as it looks like. And how will you know? Then you're leaning on your own understanding. Every one of us has to come to a place at some point in our life. Jesus had to do it. He had to leave behind all the people He was born and raised with. He had to leave behind His family. He had to leave behind His friends. He had to leave behind His life. He had to leave everything behind and go and be alone with the Father to learn what it was like to know Him and be okay being alone with Him. And He came back strengthened in the might of the Lord and carried out everything God had for Him to do. And every single one of us at some point, if we haven't already, is going to have to go through that place where we get alone with Him and we're okay with just us. And we really know Him. I don't even know what that looks like for everybody, you know, because a lot of us have jobs and work and families and all that stuff. I don't think it means you have to go off to the wilderness alone, like literally. I think it means that when you're spending your time during the day. I remember when I first got born again, I got saved out of just a, a, a horrific lifestyle and I, and I, and I got born again and I, I got set free from all kinds of stuff and I was just like after him. And every day I would get up in the morning and I did a job, I was doing vinyl siding. And my job was I would get the houses from the ground as high as I could reach with siding all by myself and then the other crew would come behind me and they would finish the houses off on planks and do the roof lines. And it was every single day I woke up and I would get to go to work and I remember I would be there and I would just talk to him all day long alone. All day long. And I never ever hated going to work because I didn't look at it as going to work. I looked at it as I'm going to be alone with just him and I'm going to spend all day with him. I'll do some siding in the process. But he's going to be my focus and that's why I'm going. And this guy came up to me one day and he said, hey, and he, he came around the corner and shocked me. I mean, literally, I would be siding and I would just be lost. <laughs> I would be thinking about what I'd read in the Word that morning or the night before, or just thanking him for the life he'd given me and who he'd show me I was becoming. And I just was lost in my own world alone with him. And that was perfectly okay with me. And a guy came around the corner and said, hey, and it shocked me. And I looked at him. He said, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to startle you. He said, hey, I just wanted to come and ask you, what's up with you? <laughs> I said, what do you mean? He goes, no, no, what's up with you? <laughs> I don't know. Why don't you tell me? I'm like, <laughs> you know, zippers up, nose is clear. <laughs> you know, nothing in my, what do you mean what's up? He said, no, I've been watching you. I, we, he, he worked in the same subdivision, so he'd be there every day doing a different job. He said, I've been watching you, and I watch you every single day at work, and you're always smiling, and you never stop, and every time I see you, you've got a smile on your face, or you're whistling, or you're laughing, or you're singing, or something. What are you doing? <laughs> I said, do you want to know? He said, yeah. He said, you know what? This is not like a fun job. This is boring, and you don't make it look boring. You actually make it look fun. And I said, do you want to know why? 
He said, yeah, I do. I said, it's because every single day when I wake up, I get to spend every minute that I'm awake with him. And it doesn't matter what I'm doing. I'm spending it with him and I'm talking to him. And he's talking back. Amen. He said, oh. And he turned around and walked off. <laughs> I know. He should have fell on his knees and said, what must I do to be saved? And I would have been like Peter, you know. But that's okay because that seed of truth that was deposited in his heart that day won't return without accomplishing everything God sent it forth to do. And I may never be there to see the day that that fruit gets harvested by somebody else, but that's okay. Because I know in that moment, he saw me and he saw the Father. What if we could all just like boldly stand before people and say, hey, look, I'm not saying I do every single thing perfect. I'm not saying that you couldn't catch me at like a weak moment when I'm like just frustrated with something and I might look a little mutated. But but if you've seen my life, I'm serious. It's just a mutation. It's not who he created you to be. So you have to believe that way or you'll think that's who you are. And if that's who you are, then the best you can do is act like something different. You have to believe when you're something other than who he created you to be, that's not really who you are. That's a mutation. That's not what you're supposed to be. Otherwise, you'll accept that that's just who you are. And if that's who you are, how could you ever change? See, you have to see with that lens. Otherwise, what hope is there? I'm not saying that you, know, you couldn't catch me at a bad moment here or there. I, you know, I hope you wouldn't. But I'm just saying, if you came and watched my life and you followed me around, I'd be okay saying, if you saw me, you've seen the Father. And that's His heart for every single one of us. And in a year, I'll be even more confident saying it. And in another year, I'll be even more confident saying it because every day I'm being changed. And today I look more like Jesus than yesterday. And tomorrow I'm going to look more like him than I did today because he's changing me from glory to glory into the image of his son. And I'm becoming more like the one I'm spending my time with. And as I know him, I know who I am and I become what I behold. God, I thank you for that. I just right now pray that every single person in here, that we would get that confidence of knowing you, God, that if it takes getting away from everything, God, if it means stripping down some things and getting rid of some things, God, so that we can be with you and spend time with you to know you intimately, that we would do it, God, that we would pursue you at all costs so that we would know you, so that when something that is not you is presented to us, we could look at it and say, that golden calf, are you kidding me? That came out of someone's ear but it didn't come out of his mouth. And we would be able to stand before people and say, if you've watched my life, if you follow me around, if you were fly on my shoulder, if you've seen me, you've seen the way that I treat people, you've seen the way that I love, you've seen the way that I live, you've seen the heart of the Father displayed. I thank you that that's your heart, God, because Jesus said that as you sent him into the world, he sent us. And you've never called us to something which you aren't fully prepared and joyfully, joyfully willing and wanting to equip us to do. I just thank you that we receive that right now. God, I just, over this house, that there would just be this joyful excitement in knowing you really knowing you. That there would be a boldness. God, that not as jerks, but as people who love, that we would destroy everything that raises itself up against the knowledge we have of who and what you are like. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.